Hey, the rest of us, let's take our Bible and open up to Romans chapter 4. We're going to just dive right in this morning. Uh, So excited. This is an incredible passage of Scripture, and it's been challenging the living daylights out of me all week long, and it's had me thinking about a lot of things, and I'm very excited to share this with you. Romans chapter 4, as we've said before, uh, the book of Romans is sort of like the Magna Carta of the Christian life. This is the book of the New Testament that lays out what it means to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus more well, uh, probably as well as any other. All right. And then chapter four, an incredible passage. Look at verse 18. I've been talking about Abraham and his faith and how his faith is the kind of faith we need for salvation. And it says here, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. And so became the father of many nations, just as has been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief. You're like, what is he talking about? Talking about uh, in the book of Genesis, roughly chapters 15 through 22, uh, the story of Abraham. God had promised him, you're going to have a son. Abraham's like, I'm 90 years old. There's no way, you know, there's no way I'm ever going to be able to have a child. And God said, yes, you will. And so the Bible, you know, Paul says here, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. He believed what God had said. He believed God's promise that even in his old age, that he would somehow, some miraculous way, have a child. And so we talk about the faith of Abraham leading to salvation, but what we also have here is Paul talking about the kind of faith that Abraham had. It's the kind of faith that all of us need and want in our lives, operating in our lives. Look at verse 20. He did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. All right, the title today is Against All Hope. We talked about this a little bit last week. We got started. I'm going to do a really quick review because there are some of you maybe weren't here last week. We talked last week real briefly about the optics of hope. It means that in God's grace that you and I are to fix our eyes on what we cannot see. We kind of did that with communion this morning in a way. We're supposed to think that there is another realm of reality that I can't readily see with my eyes, but in my heart, I know it's true and I know I'm at that place. Hebrews chapter 11, the Bible says, by faith, Abraham, when he was called by God, he obeyed, going to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went not knowing where he was going, for he was confidently looking forward to an eternal heavenly city whose architect and builder is God. And we believe that too. There is a place that we're going to receive as an inheritance. We haven't seen it yet, but we know it's there. And by faith, we follow God, be able to go there. So over and over again, the Bible urges you and me to take our eyes off of this present world and fix our eyes on the eternal future that awaits us. We also talk about the objective of hope. And that is that with so many people struggling so much in our world today, there's this hopelessness. It's like a malady that's affecting so many in our culture And everything about the world system that we live in today, ladies and gentlemen, is engineered for one purpose, and that is to drain you and your children of hope, of really hope for the future. Because the devil knows that when you're hopeless, you become vulnerable. And our kids are taught, you know, you came from nothing, you're going to nothing, and in the middle, it's just some Darwinian nightmare of the survival of the fittest. And it's just like this dystopian view And our children's world today is something like Dante's Inferno, you know, abandon hope, all ye who enter here. And it just, it's it's killing our kids. It truly is. 
And this world would be hopeless, but there is a God. We know there is a God. He has invaded our world like we just talked about in our Lord's Supper. He became flesh. He became blood. He lived among us. He died on the cross for our sins. He was gloriously resurrected from the dead. And now he has become what the Bible says, the firstborn among many brethren. He is the first among a new type of humanity. And that day is to come. First Peter chapter 1 Peter said this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he gave us new birth into a living hope, and that we have an inheritance reserved in heaven for us. All right? It's being guarded by God, and it's waiting for us. All right? So those two things are, you know, like you might say, the characteristics of the hope of Ab- uh, the, the faith of Abraham. And then I want you to see this, though. Paul also mentions three obstacles to hope. Look at verse 18. He says, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. Now, when Paul says against all hope, he's saying against hope, Abraham believed in hope. And you're going, Les, that doesn't make a lick of sense, all right? And it really kind of doesn't at first blush, but it brings up a, a very important topic that there are three obstacles to hope. What is hope? Hope is living in faith. When you're living by faith, living in faith, you're living in hope. All right, number one, the number one obstacle is what you might call a singularly human hope, all right? Uh, There's a man back in 2008 named David Hayes, and he went fishing with his granddaughter in North Carolina. And for Christmas, she'd gotten herself a, a, a pink Barbie rod and reel. I didn't know they made such a thing, all right? I didn't know Barbie was heavy into fishing, but apparently she is. And so she got a Barbie rod and reel. And uh, she had to go to the bathroom. She said, Grandpa, would you watch my rod and reel? And I'm going to go to the restroom. He said, sure. Seconds after she left, he gets a strong pull on the rod. He begins reeling the fish in. He landed a state record channel catfish, 21 pounds, okay, with a Barbie fishing rod with a six-pound test line. It's incredible. It really is. The catfish was 32 inches long, which made it two inches longer than the Barbie rod and reel that it came in on. Uh, Just incredible. You're like, what are the odds? What are the odds of catching a state record catfish on a Barbie rod and reel? Look at verse 18, against all hope. What is Paul talking about? The hope that the world has, a worldly hope, a human hope. Okay, human hope is the driving force behind behind the Hunger Games, by the way. You know, may the odds be ever in your favor. Remember that? Worldly people understand hope as this. What are the odds? Tell me what the odds are, and then I might believe. I might, okay. Is it a miracle to land a 21-pound catfish with a Barbie rod and reel? Not really, okay. You know, the odds aren't good, but it's not outside the realm of possibility. There's worldly hope. There's a natural hope. What's the best possible outcome, people think, in the realm of the natural? That's the best that I can hope for. But Abraham's faith, it just flew in the face of what are the odds, you know? What's the the most likely natural expectation or explanation? And think about this. With Abraham and Sarah, they'd never been able to have children. Now, he's uh, he's, he's, uh, in his 90s and she's in her 80s. The odds were not in their favor, all right? And I want you to think about this. What is the cure if the only hope that you live with on a day-by-day basis is a human hope? And that would just drain the hope out of your body if you do, by the way. Look at verse 18. It says, against all hope, Abraham and hope believed, came the father of many nations, underline this in your Bible, just as it had been said to him. It made no rational sense, but Abraham believed what God had said 
to him. God has said many, many, many things to you and to me in his precious word. And we have to believe what God has said to us. And Abraham's situation, it was taken out of human hands altogether. And it was put into God's hands. He took it out of the natural and he put it squarely in the realm of the supernatural. Matthew chapter 17, Jesus says, oh, well, he says, you don't have enough faith, he told his disciples. I tell you the truth, if you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, it would move. Nothing would be impossible. A faith the size of a mustard seed, Jesus says, will do wonders. It will work miracles. But most people have a faith that is even less than a mustard seed. Why? Because they think only about the odds. What are the odds? And unless and until God is in your life calculus, you have only human hope. And that's really no hope at all. Number two, seemingly hopeless circumstances. Right? Um, we've got a few moms and dads here today. I have, a, I have a job for you. After church today, I want you to do this, okay? When you get home, find all the dictionaries in your house and have the kids turn in the dictionary to the word impossible. Then I want you to get a, a sharp razor blade, like a utility knife or an exacto knife. Cut the word impossible out of the dictionary right there with your kids. It'll be a very powerful lesson and tell them, guys, there's no such thing as impossible. As long as there is a God, everything is possible. All right, you need to do that today. Think about this. The future of the world depended on the birth of a baby. And God had told Abraham, all the nations are going to be blessed by this child of yours. Because the baby born to a man and a woman who had never produced a child, naturally speaking, they never would. But this baby that would come sometime in the future would birth a nation. And that nation would birth another child that would one day bless the entire world. Look at verse 19. <clears throat> It says, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and Sarah's womb was also dead. Abraham had two hopeless circumstances, his body and Sarah's womb, Paul says. They had tried for years, no baby had come, and now the circumstances were completely hopeless. His body was 100 years old. Sarah's womb had never, her reproductive system had never functioned so that she could have a child. And what hope do they have now in their advanced age? And I love what Paul said about Abraham's faith here. He says he faced the facts. Many people think of faith as evading the facts. You know, I'm going to believe something. I'm going to force myself to believe something that I know isn't true. But Abraham looked at what we would call hopeless circumstances and he faced them head on. He thought about the deadness of his body, the barrenness of Sarah's womb, and how seemingly hopeless the circumstances were. But Paul says it didn't weaken his faith. Like Luke 18, 27, Jesus said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And that's why he did not weaken in his faith. Number three, this might surprise you a little bit. Another obstacle to hope is the staggering possibilities that might be ours if we truly believe. Because Jesus had said, if you had faith as big as a mustard seed, you could tell the mountain to move and it would. It's hard to believe in the miraculous. I don't know if you might have known this or not. There's a little town in Kentucky called Miracle, Kentucky. 
It really exists. It's down the road from Blue Lick. All right. <laughs> Never been there, but I want to go to Miracle, Kentucky sometime. But there's a new pastor of Miracle Bible Church who decided to go and visit the youth Sunday school. And the teacher introduced him and said, Pastor, this morning we're studying the book of Joshua. And he said, that's wonderful. So he said, hey, kids, I want to ask you guys a question. Uh, who tore down the walls of Jericho? And a junior high boy named Billy, he raised his hand and said, Pastor, I didn't do it. I did not. And the pastor said, come on now, we really know. Who tore down the walls of Jericho? And the teacher said, Pastor, Pastor, Billy's a good boy. I'll vouch for him. He did not do it. And he said, what are we talking about? He said, he didn't do it. I believe him. He's pretty flustered. And so he went to the youth pastor and he said, he related the story to the youth pastor. And the youth pastor was genuinely concerned. He said, well, you know, we've had some problems with Billy around here before, but uh, let me talk to him and see what we can do. And he said, I can't believe it. Man, the, the kids don't know about the walls of the miracle of Jericho. The, the Sunday school teacher doesn't know about the walls of Jericho. And the youth pastor doesn't know about the miracle of Jericho. And so the next elder meeting, he related the whole story. He said, man, wait, I asked the kids, who, who tore down the walls of Jericho? And nobody would give me the answer. And the chairman of the elder board kind of stroked his chin. And he said, well, pastor, Billy's family doesn't have much money. I move, we just take the money from the building fund and pay for the damage that he's done. <laughs> All right. You know, we're living in a day and age when fewer and fewer people believe in miracles. And more and more often, people are saying something like this. If I can't see that it's possible, how can it be true? But you see there in verse 20, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. You see, the promise itself was an obstacle because it was just so incredible to Abraham. And, you know, imagine the heartache of he and Sarah never being able to have children. And here they are, you know, almost 100 years old, each of them. And God is saying, you're going to have a child. You know, this is the, the, it's too much to believe because it's too good. It's just too good. And that was an obstacle for them. If you're a Christian, I just want to tell you this today. Too good to be true does not apply to you. Because God is good to sinners. That's what the Bible, we know that to be true. God is good to sinners. Romans chapter 8, verse 32 said, He who did not spare even his own son, but gave him up on behalf of us all, is it possible that having given us his son, he would not give us everything else too? And we think about that. If God is willing to give even his son, is there anything that he would ever deny you that he knows that you need? Now look at that word unbelief. When you see that in the Greek, it really literally means something like anti-faith. You know, there's matter, anti-matter, all right? It kind of means anti-faith. It's a faithlessness, a lack of confidence in God. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 13 that Jesus went to his hometown of Nazareth. He began to do miracles. He began to preach, and they began to say, wait, isn't this, isn't this Joseph the carpenter's son? Where's this power coming from? Where's this wisdom coming from? But he was filled with the Spirit of God. He's like, this is impossible. We know his brothers. We know his sisters. We know his mother. And it says that Jesus couldn't do very many miracles there. Why? Because of their unbelief. Their unbelief. You know, if you lived in America, let's say 200 years ago, up to about maybe even 50 or 70 years ago, you'd have two books in your house. It was very hard to get books. They were very expensive. But everybody in America had at least two books in colonial America, you had the King James Bible, and you had a book called A Pilgrim's Progress. John Bunyan wrote A Pilgrim's Progress. 
He was an English pastor. He was put in prison for his preaching, and he was given a three-month sentence. And every three months, they would come to him and say, John, will you quit preaching if we let you go? And he would say no. So he ended up staying in prison for 12 years. All right? He stayed in prison for 12 years. During his time in prison, he wrote a book about the Christian journey called A Pilgrim's Progress. And that book is a classic. It's gone through 1,300 editions. It's one of the most important books in the English language. It influenced C.S. Lewis, Herman Melville, Nathaniel Hawthorne. I could go on and on. Mark Twain. I could go on and on. But he wrote many books, actually. And another book of his he wrote about what he called the the 21, I'm sorry, the, the seven abominations that lurk in his heart. And one of them, he said, is a secret inclination toward unbelief. And John made a, John Bunyan made a list of 23 contrasts between faith and unbelief. I want to list seven of them. I think they're so, so important. He said this, faith believes the word of God, but unbelief questions the certainty of the same. Faith believes the word because it is true, but unbelief doubts the word because it is true. The next one, faith sees more in a promise of God to help than in all other things to hinder, but unbelief says, how can these things be? What are the odds? The next one, faith will give comfort in the midst of fears, but unbelief causes fears in the midst of comforts. Hmm. Faith makes great burdens light, but unbelief makes light burdens intolerably heavy. Faith helps us when we are down, but unbelief throws us down when we are up. Faith gives us peace and comfort in our souls, but unbelief causes trembling and tossing like the restless waves of the sea. Look at that word waver that you see there in that verse of scripture. It literally means to have two minds in your head at the same time, to be conflicted. James chapter one, James said this, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives to all men liberally and it will be given, but let him ask in faith without wavering. That's the same word Paul used. For he who wavers is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. And let not that man think that he will receive anything from the Lord, because a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. There are many things that we ask of God, not just wisdom, but the principle here is always the same. We ask and we do not doubt, doubt that God wants to and God will. All right, Abraham did not let material evidence detract him from the promise that God had given him, no matter how staggering the possibilities were. And he kept on in hope, in contrary to all human hope, to all circumstances, to all possibility, even against the odds. How? How did he do it? He looked at his body, which was as good as dead, but he reasoned in his mind, if this is what God wants to do, God can raise the dead. He looked at Sarah's body. There's nothing there. All right. And he knows this is a God who can call out uh, something from nothing, create something from nothing. He speaks and things exist where things had not existed before. And that's why you get to Genesis chapter 17. Look at this scripture up on the screen. When Abraham was 99, the Lord came to him and said, I am El Shaddai, serve me faithfully, live a blameless life. I'll make a covenant with you and I'm gonna guarantee you countless descendants. Abraham bowed to the ground and he laughed to himself in disbelief. How could I become a father at the age of 100, nine months from now? How can Sarah have a baby when she is 90? And God replied, Sarah, your wife will give birth to a son for you. Man, 
man, don't you wish you could have been there that day? You know, when Abraham told Sarah what God had said, I wish I could go back and be like a bug on the rug, don't you? He came in one morning and said, she said, hey, Abraham, your eggs are ready. How's your morning? Well, you know, I was having my quiet time this morning and man, it was really, really good. God spoke to me today and it was just clear as day. And what would Sarah say? Well, what was it? And he'd say, well, I don't really know exactly how to put this, but he blurted out just like a man would. God told me you're going to get pregnant, (laughs) you know? And she would say, Abraham, that's not funny. It's nine o'clock in the morning and you've been drinking, haven't you? All right. That's what she probably would have said. But not long after this, Abraham was visited by a group of three men, God appearing in human form. The three persons of the Trinity, perhaps God and two archangels, perhaps. But look at this scripture up on your screen. One of those visitors said, I will certainly return to you in about a year's time. By then, your wife, Sarah, will have borne a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent entrance behind him. Sarah laughed to herself. So Abraham, Abraham and Sarah had both laughed when they got this news. And the Lord asked Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and think, am I really going to bear a child since I'm so old? Is anything impossible for the Lord? I'm going to be back here in a year. Sarah will have a son. Wow. You know, Sarah did laugh, but her story doesn't stop there because she must have thought it through. God had made a promise to Abraham that applied to her, and she reasoned in her heart, God has kept every promise that he has ever made to him and to me. Why should I doubt this one? Look at that word promise that Paul uses there in Romans chapter 4. And look at this up on the screen. You see, there are two different words for promise in the Greek language that the Bible is written on. And one is a word that means a conditional promise. Like, if I go to John here and I say, John, if I do A, will you promise to do B? And John says, yes, that's that Greek word. But this word is an unconditional promise. It's a, it's a promise that is made out of the generosity of God's epic heart. It's a voluntary act of grace. It's a covenant, and there are no stipulations. And so Abraham and Sarah looked at the human impossibility of what they were facing, becoming parents, and they weighed that against the spiritual impossibility of God not fulfilling his word to them. And they decided that because of God's character, that even that was not impossible. And so that's why Hebrews 11, 11 says, because of faith, Sarah herself received physical power to conceive a child, even when she was long past the age for it, because she considered God who had given her the promise to be reliable and true to his word. I just kind of wonder if Sarah might've thought about her laughter and then that little mild rebuke from the Lord she might've made a little plaque for herself and hung it up in the tent somewhere where she could see it every day. And it was the word of God, the words of God. Remember they had no Bible. So these were the words of God that she possessed. And I wonder if that little plaque might've said, is anything impossible for the Lord? Hmm. I can't help but think what Sarah must've thought the first time that she felt a kick 
in her 90-year-old uterus. What was that? Could it be? Could it be? This isn't possible, is it? But this is really happening. Staggering possibilities become a reality because God is good. God is good. and God is faithful to his word. Mark 10, 27, Jesus looked at them and said, it is impossible, humanly, it is impossible, but not with God. With God, everything is possible. Real quickly, I want to tell you one more thing. And that's about the obstinance of hope. I don't know about you guys, um, but uh, I think sometimes I'm just, I'm just too stubborn. Okay, I really am. And that's what obstinance means. It's kind of a, it's kind of a stubbornness. It's like when you, you dig your feet in and say, I'm not moving. Okay, I'm not going to change. All right, and that could be a really bad thing, okay? Uh, like in marriage, for example, okay? But it can be a really good thing in the face of other opportunities and obstacles. Look at verse 20. That he was strengthened in his faith and he gave glory to God being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. You see, Abraham had faith, not just because of God's character, which already established, but he also understood God's power. And he looked at his own dead body and he found it possible to believe what everybody else would have found it impossible to believe. But Abraham had been told by God to look up at the stars. And God had told him, as the stars in the sky are so countless, so your descendants will be countless just like the stars. But that was a brilliant, brilliant move by God because it also forced Abraham to think, God made those stars. And he made them from nothing. He spoke them into existence. And so Abraham's faith was an intellectual faith. It was a intelligent faith. It was a reasonable faith to a God who could create billions of galaxies with billions of stars in each one of them. Nothing is impossible. You might say, well, I don't believe that happened. I believe that the universe came by some other means. If you can, if you can come up with it, that's yeah, a great, great faith that you have. If you think the universe just happened without a prime mover, without a first cause, then you have even more faith than I do. But the more Abraham thought about it, the more his faith was empowered and energized, which is what that word strengthened means. Look at that word, fully persuaded. The root word means to take a container and fill it full to the brim. My little water bottle here. If I were to take a pitcher of water, begin to fill it up until it began to overflow and their water was right up to the brim. That's what that word means. And so what, it, what, the, what the, the concept here is, it means to, to have your soul, your very heart, full to the brim with confidence, confidence in God. That's what that word means. And look at verse uh, uh, Colossians chapter four, coming up on your screen. Epaphras, Paul says, is praying for you, striving for you in his prayers, pleading that you as people of character and courage stand firm. There's that obstinance, okay? That resolve, spiritually mature and fully assured in all the will of God. Yeah, I've been reading the book of Joshua in my quiet time uh, devotionally the last few weeks, and I just finished it up. But I was just, I was just so moved 
over and over and over again. God said the same thing to Joshua. Be strong and courageous. Do not be discouraged. It's actually a command. Do not be discouraged. Be strong and courageous. Time after time or time. He told him that. And notice the contrast here between Paul talking about Abraham being strong and Abraham being weak. And this word that Paul uses for weak in verse 19 means something like deficient or or timid or undignified. And what he's trying to say here is that Abraham was strengthened. He didn't diminish God. He did not lessen God's glory or dignity by being weak in his own faith. He gave glory to God because he had so much faith, so much confidence in the character and the power of God. And so I just want to tell you today, there is an obstinance. There is a resolve. There is a a stand firmness. I know that's not a word, but when when your hope is in God, uh, faith like Abraham is the faith that stands its ground based upon the character and the power of God. Ephesians 3.20, glory belongs to God whose power is at work in us. And by this power, he can do infinitely more than we can ask or imagine. And I want us to conclude on this note today. Look at the very end of chapter four. Look at verse 22. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham's soul was saved because of his faith. He was made innocent before God because of his faith. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us too, to whom God will credit righteousness for us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification so that we could be declared not guilty. I think there may be just one or two people here today that might be able to remember uh, Faith Covenant Church back in the summer of 2003. Uh, you know, I was a youth pastor at First Baptist Church here, and I was a student at Dallas Seminary. And they would ask if I'd come in here and, you know, preach from time to time. And that relationship developed into them asking me to be the pastor of this church. It was really incredible. But, but in that summer, that was in the fall, but in that summer, I was just like guest preacher. And there was a sweet, sweet lady here. There were about 30 or 35 people here. Most of them were in their 80s at the time. And, uh, you know, they were actively talking about, are we going to have to close the doors of our church and things like that? There's a sweet lady named Mary Farr. And some of you remember Mary. Uh, Dear, dear lady. And I remember one day out in the foyer, we had had church over there. We were in the foyer. And I'll never forget it. Uh, you know, I'd come over after teaching Sunday school at First Baptist, and I was over here, and, and I was getting ready to go home, and she caught me in the foyer, and we were talking, and she said something like this. She said, I, I just, I love my church. She said, I just hope, I hope my little church can make it. And I, was just like, I didn't know how to encourage her. And I just said, well, Mary, we worship and serve a God who raises the dead. I didn't want to hurt her feelings. Like, you know, your church is dead. You know, I didn't want to say that. But I wanted to encourage her heart. We worship and serve a God who raises the dead. And I just think, man, if Mary could see you now, if she could see all those kids over in that building over there right now, 
And where we used to have church services, we're having children's church, et cetera, et cetera. She would be so blessed. God raises the dead. We look at the faith of Abraham, we say, that was, that was an extraordinary faith. But Paul looks at the faith of Abraham and says, that's an ordinary faith. That's an everyday faith. That's like the faith that we all have. You see, anyone can exercise this kind of faith if they choose to, and we must. Because God's way of saving Abraham's soul and the way of saving your soul and mine, it has not changed. It's God's way of saving us and make us righteous even today. You see, Abraham was faced with an impossibility. God taking death and transforming it to life. And yet he resolutely believed that this was not impossible for God, that God was able to take death and make it come to life. And you and I are faced with that same, quote, impossibility. We are forced to answer the question, did God raise the dead body of Jesus to life again? And if we believe in our deep heart, that God brought a corpse back to life again, this changes everything. And not only changes the way your soul, you know, the destiny of your soul, but it also changes the operation of your soul on a daily basis. 1 Peter 1.21, through Christ you have come to trust in God. Did you catch that? Through Christ you have come to trust in God. That's something we all have to really ask ourselves. Do I truly trust God? Do I trust God? And you have placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ Jesus from the dead and gave him great glory. You know, if you have a God who raises the dead, you're going to be a very exciting person to be around. <laughs> you know, you really are. <laughs> you really are. Because you're never going to know when something that appears to everybody else to be dead and lifeless is just waiting to be brought to life at any moment. And when something you cannot possibly hope for, something that does not even exist in the present, will be called into existence by the God who can create something out of nothing. And the life of faith, the life filled with hope, the life that's brimming with hope, is filled with optimism. And it is an adventure. When all things are yours, as Paul told the Corinthians, and I just need to ask this question, do you have that kind of a God? The God who raises the dead, the God who keeps his promises, and the God who calls something out of nothing. Hmm. Let's bow our heads this morning if we can. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I just want to ask you to be quiet in your heart another minute. And you've been amazing today, and I want to thank you for that. You know, here in a song, here in a moment, we're going to sing a beautiful praise song. You're all I want. You're all I've ever needed, goes the chorus. Incredible song. You're all I want. You're all I've ever needed. Living by faith. Living in hope. In, a, in, a, in, the, in the purest manner of speaking is just to say, Lord, you're enough. No matter what else I receive in this life, no matter what else I gain, no matter what else I might strive for, Lord, you're enough. You're all that I want. You're all that I've ever needed. 
And so when Peter says, through Christ, you have come to trust in God. Are you trusting God today? Life has disappointments. Life has trials and troubles. Life has tests. Through Christ, you come to trust in God. So I'll be quiet for a moment today. Two things. In the quietness of this moment, there are some of you that need to trust God right now because there's something that you're going through and it is putting your trust, your faith, your hope to the test. Just go before the Lord this morning and say, Lord, I trust you. I trust you. Lord, I, I want to trust you more. Lord, help my unbelief. And there may be others here today who you just need to trust God for something that he's prompting you to do. There's something that has been on your heart to do for him, for his glory, but you've, 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 you've pulled back in doubt and, and you've wavered. And would you just go before the Lord and say, Lord, I just, I want to be strengthened in my faith and I don't want to be wavering in unbelief. And so Lord, would you just give me a greater trust because Lord, you're all that I need. You're all that I've ever wanted. So I want to be quiet for a moment or two. I want to ask you to go before the Lord. Just talk about your trust relationship with him today. I'll pray for us and we'll move to our time of ministry. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus just to take him at his promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord. And Lord, it is sweet to trust in you. And Lord, it is sweet to take you at your promise. And Lord, I just pray for that person here today who's struggling to do that here today. And Father, I just pray that you'd give them new eyes to see who you are, your character and your power. And Father, what lies ahead for them when they trust in Jesus as Savior, that eternal city yet to come. Lord, give us a confidence to look forward to that as well. But Father, in our time here on this earth, the time that we have left, Lord, teach us what it means to trust you and give you glory by the faith and the confidence that we put in you. And we ask this in your name, Jesus, today. Amen. Amen.